Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of the We Are Mission podcast, a podcast of Missio Scotland. I am Gerard Goff, the Communications Officer, and I am delighted to be joined by Sister Mary Thomas, a Comboni sister, also known as Helen Johnson. Sister, thank you very much for taking the time out to speak to us today. And thank you for inviting me to do so. Sister, just give us a wee um, bit of information on your background. Where did you grow up and things like that and what was, what was life like growing up? Well, I was born over in Garrow Hill, which is, was a new scheme at the time and supposed to be quite posh, according to another missioner called Tom, I think it was Father Tolan, comes from Bayliston. And he said, well, it was a toffee part, no? But we were very quickly, had to get out of there, I think, money-wise. So we, from about when I was nine or ten, we went down to Partick Way, Whiteinch, and... Very normal type of life. Went through primary school, hated secondary school. I don't know, some people loved it, but I hated it. <laughs> and uh, left, but I also did music. So I wanted to train a professional musician. Uh, and then a terrible thing happened. They had the Kelvin Hall uh, exhibition of religious vocations, I think for the second time. And a friend of mine actually put my name down in the CTS for helping understand. But she didn't put her own name down, she put my name down and another friend's. Okay. And I went very unwillingly, but I went because of an intervention, I think, with somebody upstairs. <laughs> and I think because I, I'm not going to that, and I told her. But then the note came in, would you please give us the terms that you're, and days that you can? So I said, they don't know I didn't volunteer. And if everybody pulls out at the last minute, they'll have nobody. So, so I put a couple of hours down. And the first night I went, I met the Sisters of Verona, as they were called at the time. And boom, I felt I had to try my vocation. My friend said to me, oh, she says, your vocation's the same as mine. But I didn't have ten kids. But... <laughs> It stuck with me so hard that I was in there every day as far as I could and entered in 1961, did my training down in London mm -hmm. and 1964. And at that time, they didn't tell you where you were going or what you were, asked you what you would like to do. You just went where they told you. Mm -hmm. And when I was sent down to Italy and then... <coughs> Uh, they said, oh, um, you're leaving, you're leaving on the 10th, this was Rome, mm -hmm. to, to, uh, to go to Rome, uh, you're leaving on the 10th, to Rome. This was the second. <laughs> so <laughs> I got my stuff ready, went down to Rome, and they said to me in Rome, so are you happy uh, that you're going to the mission? I said, why am I? <laughs> they said, I said, well, they said, you're going to Eritrea. Oh, <laughs> where's that? And this is quite <laughs> literally, I said, where's that? Yeah. No, no. Eritrea, of course, is an ex-Italian uh, colony. Mm -hmm. And we are, you know, we started off as an Italian congregation. Now we're very international. Mm -hmm. But uh, at that time, I was sent out there. And when I look back... I say, well, I know some language there, the Tigre language, 
but I don't really know how to speak the language. And yet I do, because I speak perfect Italian, <laughs> <laughs> because I learned it there. Yeah. So I s was there. I s thought I was going out to, you know, teach the winds mm. under the tree, nice mm -hmm. summary. Forget it. I arrived on the Sunday. On the Monday, they changed my destination. And on the Thursday, I started teaching English at the pre-university college of Asmara, which is the capital of Eritrea. Wow. So, see if, see if, we, if, we, if we just go back a wee bit and dial a wee bit, because yeah. we'll, we'll talk a wee bit more about uh. your vocation uh, a bit more fully. Did you come from quite a big family? Oh, it was very big. Yeah. I'm the only one. <laughs> ah, right, well, okay. I had a wee brother. <laughs> I had a wee brother who uh, he took one look at me and disappeared. I was only 11 months old. He mm -hmm. was born Tommy, mm -hmm. baptised by the doctor and died. That's it. And ruined my mother for having any other, any other children. So that was me on my own. Mm -hmm. But the beautiful thing is that when it came to saying to my family, to my mother and father, my father answered me, if you have been chosen by God, we are privileged. Wow. But I, I didn't realize the sacrifice that I was laying on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But they did it. And you, and you said that you were... Um, you were really good at music at school. Um, oh, yes, I what, what did you like? What instruments did you play? Well, I l the piano. Piano. Because somebody, we didn't have a piano. Somebody said, had stored their piano in our house. Mm -hmm. No? Uh, it's just, I was born just before the war, mm -hmm. one year in war. So we had this piano. And so my daddy said it would be good if I learned the piano. Mm -hmm. When I was six, I started learning piano. And I was quite good at it. And I did all the exams of the thing and finished with an ARCM and then went on to teach English, of course. <laughs> These yeah. are the daft things. But yeah. I used my my music a lot, really, at the beginning because I taught the other sisters music and mm -hmm. taught singing, uh, choir music and such and such. So I've always kept interest there mm -hmm. until now. Uh, in fact, no, 20 years ago, because then I was sent to the desert. Yeah. No piano. <laughs> no pianos in the desert. <laughs> so um, do you still play? I wish I could. No. Nah. But I'm, I'm, you know, and then I, I fell right. about a year ago uh -huh. and dislocated my, you know, and at my age, oh, the muscles don't want to come back. Yeah. But never mind, I'll try again if I get a piano. So, um, uh, you were quite musical. Um, were you quite linguistic? Did you like languages at school? And oh, yes. Yeah? yeah, but the trouble was, you know, they were teaching us French, mm -hmm. and I wanted to learn Spanish. Right, yeah. And somebody had given me a Spanish grammar book, mm -hmm. and I had it under the table. I'm doing Spanish, and she's teaching me French. <laughs> so both of them went. Yeah. Uh, and what about mum and dad? What did they do for a living? My dad was an ordinary working man. Mm -hmm. He, well, you know, at the beginning for Catholics, the depression hit them hard. Mm -hmm. So he, he worked as a bookies runner. Right, okay. Uh, my mother there as well. 
uh, was an Irish bookie, which and it was illegal at the time, of course, right. you know, and there was other undertones, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but that was it in that yeah. time. Yeah. And the undertone was the IRA. Right. But okay. they didn't know anything about that. You know, they knew everything yeah. about it. That was the scene. And then my daddy uh, had cut his apprenticeship short, mm-hmm. you know, a depression, get rid of who you can. So he was one year short. Uh, but he worked in Hillington uh, as a toolmaker. Right, okay. Which was a good job at the time, you know, and uh, he worked a wee bit the shipyards, but that was during the war mm-hmm. because they wouldn't take him in as a soldier. Right, okay. You know? um, <laughs> because he was valuable as a worker making yeah, guns yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. And he worked there, worked in Paisley, worked in Hillington, uh, all his life doing that job. He's a good man. mechanic. Yeah. He's a good mechanic, yeah. yeah. Taught me to drive as well. And did mum look after the house? Mum, my mother, yes, she was good at that, but when I was 12 or 11, she uh, left, uh, started doing work mm-hmm. to keep me at school. Right, okay. You know, the yeah. good one, the good school. A good school. <laughs> I would have preferred to go to the other one, yeah. but never mind. And uh, so to do that, she worked. What school did you go to? Notre Dame oh, Notre High Dame. School. All right, okay. You <laughs> see, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> no, it was um, at that time. Thank God, it's changed a lot, mm-hmm. and I have every respect for those Notre Dame sisters now, mm-hmm. because they're doing tough jobs in difficult places. Yeah. What, what was your primary? Hmm? Saint Saint Bridget's Bealiston, and then Saint Paul's. St. Paul's White Inch. Ah, St. Paul's White Inch. St. Paul's White Inch, yeah. You've kind of touched on it there a wee bit about, you know, your dad talking about your vocation, but I take it your your, your mum and dad were quite a, f- a faithful family. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was told by one of my father's sisters, he came from a family of six, mm-hmm. plus two cousins. You know, the house wasn't full enough, so they had two cousins staying with <laughs> well. All right. And uh, in St Mary's Abercrombie Street they were. Right, okay, yep. Uh, so I had a good background. But this aunt told me at one point, of course, you know you're from a dysfunctional family. <laughs> I, thought, I said, I thought all families were dysfunctional. <laughs> to a certain <laughs> well, degree, probably. They fight, they carry on. <laughs> but no, I had a very, very good background. Mother and fa- my grandmother and grandfather, both from Ireland. Yeah. The, m- from my, on my mother's side. Uh-huh. But there again, you know, my mother, if I said anything bad about my Irish cousins, you know, these Irish cousins, keep your m- mouth off the Irish. They're <laughs> <laughs> very protective of our ancestry. Okay, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then if I said something, if my cousin, Jack, he would come in, he was a sailor, so he'd arrive mm-hmm. up every now and then, and he'd say something here in Scotland, and she said, keep your mouth out the Scots. Mm. Oh, yes, I'm Scottish, <laughs> she'd say. Okay. And my dad, well, more or less the same, his father, Johnston, is a very Scottish name. Mm-hmm. And he came from, his, his grandfather was from Liverpool. Right. But he had... 
immigrated to Liverpool to find work, mm -hmm. you know, the usual story. Yeah. And it was in a factory producing rubbish, if you like. Yeah. Okay. And they were very dirty job, you know. But he got on great with his mates and they were nearly all Irish. Yeah. So he married one of their sisters. <laughs> but he got go. on well in his job. So he came up <coughs> uh, to Glasgow eventually and mm -hmm. settled in Glasgow. But that's the background, you know. So faith played a, a really important part in, in family life back then. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But the thing is, and which maybe I see that more than you see, we're stuck in that, that formal that we've had, you know. Mm -hmm. You go to Mass. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got an obligation to go to Mass, mm -hmm. right? You go to Mass and you go to profession. If you've done this, that, the next thing, and then you get married and then you settle, into, you know, and the parishes, I mean, it was a ghetto. Yeah. It was a ghetto. A lovely ghetto, if you like. Mm -hmm. I mean, we went to the back dances on Friday night after benediction to meet Catholic fellas. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I went to the Locarno as well. But that was the theory. Marry and marry a Protestant. Oh, no way. You could be cut off. Mm -hmm. You know, so there was that kind of Calvinistic mentality within mm -hmm. the Catholic Church. Right, okay. And you <coughs> did it this way and you did it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and no other. But there was that basic face there, that basic challenge, you know, like, you know, you, you've done some pretty St. Anthony, mm -hmm. say a Hail Mary, but we really believed that. Yeah. This is, I, I remember a story of my cousin Jack, who he was older than me, and he lost a soldier, and he came crying to my grandmother. And uh, it was his grandmother, well, you see and she said, lost the subject, well, don't cry about it. Go and say a Hail Mary to, to St. Anthony. A Hail Mary to St. Anthony. Never mind, they did this kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, so he went and said his Hail Mary, because she said, and he'll find it for you. Mm -hmm. All right. So he came back half an hour. Oh, see, see it there. And she says, I told you now that uh, St. Anthony would find it. He did not. I remember where I put it. it. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> he was expecting St. Anthony to come and hand him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But there was that face, mm -hmm. strong face, and <sighs> careful to instill it. But often the installation was of what you do and what you don't do. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So that has grown out of me in mm -hmm. a way mm -hmm. in the years, many years. But I'm thankful for it. Sure. I mean, you've you spoke about the the event where you are kind of um, you were introduced to the the Verona sisters as as they were known. But when you were younger, was a vocation something that you thought about? Was there any anybody that might have been a catalyst for You're it? Joking. Well, no? I remember the first time they had this <coughs> exhibition. I was much younger, mm -hmm. um, maybe sixteen, and I remember he 
going to it and be fascinated, you know, fascinated. Yeah. And I had, yeah, oh, ho, ho, ho. But it wasn't a real thing, you know. And I remember phoning a friend of my mother's who was a sister of charity, lovely woman, and she, I said, you know, oh, I want to be a nun. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about missionaries yet. Uh, and she said, well, that's fine. Now you just finish your school, which is exactly what I would try to avoid. All right, and then we will talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that uh, flash in the pan. There was no way. If I couldn't get out of school because I wanted to become a sister, yeah. I might as well stick on and see what yeah. else is in the pot. It wasn't a real thing. Yep, yep. But I remember she eventually came to my first profession in London, and she said, that's one we missed, because mm-hmm. uh, she remembered yeah. back. Yeah. But it wasn't really, but it was a start, you know? Mm-hmm. So you, you, you give us a wee, a wee kind of introduction to, you know, your vocation and stuff like that. Was there anything that was surprising to you about deciding to follow a vocation? Was there anything that came as a surprise? Number one, the amount of bread we had to eat in the morning. (laughs) We had to eat five slices of plain bread with a wheat roundy thing of butter. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but we were lucky to have the butter. Because being international, that wasn't the idea. But, I mean, breakfast disappeared, kind Mm -hmm. of. Yeah. But quantity of food was enormous. Mm -hmm. I remember, I thought we were going to sacrifice all of that stuff, you know. Yeah. And um, I don't think, you know, life, silly things, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, we were following a semi-clausura, half clausura and half out, mm-hmm. which has faded away, thank goodness. But, and I had a Glaswegian as a mother mistress. Right. <laughs> Veronica Morris, and for the Cucadans, hmm. <laughs> Sarid. <laughs> <laughs> and she understood me. Yeah. She understood where I was coming from because we had a novitiate. There were almost all Italians. Mm-hmm. We had two Spanish, and we had an Irish <laughs> lady mm-hmm. who's still there, God love her, uh, Mary Paul from Tipperary in the same group also. Uh, another thing uh, surprising, you know, that you had to, to do daft things, like get down in front of somebody on your knees and say, sorry, you've done something, all right, mm-hmm. and kiss the ground. That, where are we here? I remember standing in the garden as novice, as a postulant, um, and Mary was, I was in front, because I was the smallest. Oh. So, I never standing to attention the garden, but you could see this big glass window where the professed sisters were, we weren't allowed to go there. Mm-hmm. And we saw this one sister, I saw her go down on her knees in front of the superior. And then, after a few seconds, she kissed the ground. So I said to Mary, we weren't supposed to talk, Mary, did you see what I saw? She answered, I'm going home tomorrow. <laughs> but she didn't. You know. <laughs> but that, these were the shocks that we had. Yeah, you know, yeah. The way of life, all right. But otherwise, I was happy enough there. The term vocation, in its broadest sense, what does it mean to you? 
in its broadest sense. It's a calling. Something attracts without without you being able to put your finger on why you feel like that. Yeah. What is it that you just not stop and think, just that was my experience. I have to try life as a missionary. Mm-hmm. Why on God's earth? <laughs> I don't know. And I didn't even know the name of the founder because the founder had not been canonized. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, he was kind of under a cloud, you know, of the mm-hmm. Vatican. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, it wasn't that that attracted me. What was it I learned later and fully accepted? What I liked about our congregation was the kind of gung-ho, you know. Yep. Yeah, we'll do it. Come on. Mm-hmm. Huh? I liked that attitude, you know, which I didn't always find later on, but it was there, you know. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Um, are there any particular saints or scripture passages that can uh, define or inspire your vocation? No, I wasn't that holy. <laughs> saints, no. I followed my mother's idea, actually. Yeah. I followed my mother's idea. She used to say, she said, oh, I don't go to, I'm not interested even in going to Lourdes. I'll go if it's nice, but I'm I'm not into radio, this or that. I, I just go to the boss at the top, yep. the Holy Spirit. There you go. And more or less that was my attitude. Mm-hmm. I haven't ever had a, had a devotion to one saint mm-hmm. or another. Okay. Although some appeal to me mm-hmm. greatly. Francis, for mm-hmm. example, the house I'm staying in at the moment. Yeah. Why on earth did I not choose Francis? Why... I remember too here in Glasgow that when one priest, Father McGuchan, who used to be the administrator, I think, in the cathedral, um, <laughs> he had been a priest, not our parish priest, he was a curate. And he said to me, he said, being a missionary, being a sister is fine, but um, choose a mission, missionary congregation. It's is based in Scotland, has been here for a long while, you know them. Mm-hmm. And I know what he's talking about now, culture. Yeah. You get a culture. <laughs> Forget if I'm not listening to you. I just, that was phased out completely. I remember him saying it. But I wasn't attracted at all. It didn't make me stop and think, oh, what is this, you know? Mm-hmm. No, 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 I want to be a Ver- Verona sister. Mm-hmm. That's all. Later I understood what that means, mm-hmm. and there is this, yes, <coughs> no, when yeah. you begin to discern your vocation. Yes, yes, no, uh, I think this is rubbish, but we can get on with it. And yes, yes, this is the way that I want to spend my life mm-hmm. out on a mission among ordinary people, probably very poor, out in a very faraway place, no problem, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so. mean, the, <coughs> the, 
there have been different times in your life, I guess, um, where you've had to to draw strength from somewhere. Where do you draw strength from? Friendship. Friendship. I was very, very lucky. I don't blessed by having what the Irish call an Anam Cara. I still have her. She's up there now. One of her own sisters, Italian from Pesaro in the Adriatic. Is that right? Okay. Pesaro in the Adriatic. Um, I arrived in Asmara, Eritrea, was sent to this community, um, and she was teaching in that community. Well, in a school attached to it, Santa Familia. And immediately, she was the one that spotted me, if yet, you know. And, right, we did, I mean, she was ready to do daft things, you know. Like, um, well, we seesawed once, because it was a building site or still. They were still building the place, the actual building of the university. And so we found this thing for for flattening concrete, I presume, mm -hmm. all right, and a plank, and we laid it across the town, and then we did, we did, uh, I see so, I mean, we slid down the banners and get into trouble because we, we tore our, um, not habits, but the, we had a, a grambule, what do we call that in English? Oh, a pinifer. Pinifer, right. yeah. Pinifer, mm -hmm. okay, and it got there because we were sliding down the banners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and stuff like that, you know, and she said, yeah. but there was a bond there, you know, mm -hmm. and we went through a very, very difficult time in, it was the University of Asmara, mm -hmm. we were young sisters, I had not a degree, and this is the funny thing, I actually studied at the same time as teaching, mm -hmm. I was teaching at a lower grade and I was studying, you know. Yeah. And I finished my studies as a student of Bologna University. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why would a woman who hated school do that? Because of the mission. It was going to be good for the people. They were yep. going to get educated and be mm -hmm. able to re lead themselves. Mm -hmm. So this was a beautiful thing. That, and so I, I, but she helped me in my studies also. And a bond grew up, no? Yeah. A bond grew up. And when we had that terrible time, both of us went through it. The whole con community went through it. But she was the one that, you know, would grab me by the hand and say, come on, let's run around that corridor. Just to get rid of the tension, you know? Yeah. Stuff like that. And also another time, well, we finished school... <laughs> We finished school very late in the evening mm -hmm. because we had the worst timetable because most of the teachers there were volunteers uh, and therefore they had to teach this time or that time to suit their own timetable. And we had 20 past 10 at night we finished, you know. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> and uh, we came up stairs, the pair of us. And we went to the foot of Our Lady's statue. We lived in the building, actually. We didn't have a house. And we, 
and kissed her lady's feet and her eyes met. And she said, there's a bottle of vermis downstairs, which was kept for the priest <laughs> who came for confession. She said, so the two of us went down the stairs again and into the refectory, we called it, got the bottle out, had a nice drink of vermis. It was rubbish stuff, actually, when you think of it, because it's locally made, but it was vermis. And uh, we finished, maybe, well, it wasn't a full bottle. Mm -hmm. oh, and put it back and went up the stairs again kissed her lady's feet and she said there's still some stuff in that bottle down the stairs again <laughs> and we had some more Yeah. <laughs> and we came up quite happy <laughs> the next morning we heard about it because the sister who was in charge of the bottle who even <laughs> <laughs> we didn't admit it. No, no. But that's she, that that way of dealing with the situation, mm -hmm. no. And these are external pranks, if you like. But the feeling, you know, that I could lie to anything, I could be guilty of anything. But I was still close, and the same for her, you know. So we enjoyed that together. Friendship oh, is the thing. Friendship, absolutely. That's a great message. <laughs> um, so you were saying that you were in Eritrea for 57 years. Yes. Um, when did you arrive? Um, what was your overall first impressions? And how were you received by the people? Oh. When I arrived, I arrived on October the... 11th by plane mm -hmm. because Eden had bombed the Suez Canal so you couldn't take a ship by plane on the 11th of October 1964. Right. I arrived there. We went immediately to work. Uh, there were many sisters there. And well, I think we were twenty odd sisters in the community at that mm -hmm. time. I think of it now. All right, and I was welcomed. I was fine. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't feel a stranger, mm -hmm. although they had expected a, a tall English woman. <laughs> I well, when they saw me, they knew that tall wasn't right. All right. But later on, I helped let them understand that, no, I'm not English. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. we always do. Yeah. All right. And, uh, but we're just, we have different values. Okay. And um, I felt very accepted. Mm -hmm. But we were teaching, I was teaching men, mostly men, mm -hmm. of a of be one in four, one in ten for men. For every ten men, there would be one woman student. Okay. You know? uh, so they had to be cultivated, you know. Yeah. And they were. And so we knew them. I I met recently, just before leaving, I met one again. And these older men were just desperate for education. Yeah. 
And as the thing grew, we had the younger men and women as well, more women, a better place to study. I always felt more than welcome, more than welcome. Yeah. And that was among the people who were <coughs> mostly from the Highlands. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were Catholics. <laughs> and we were, 30 years later, accused of celebrating... Uh, of accepting in the university Catholics, only Catholics, which wasn't true at right. all. Okay. But the thing was, there were so many Catholics because many of them were ex-seminarians and they had had an education. Right, okay. So they had enough education to start thinking about college and university levels. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so uh, that's the thing. Then they accused us of having so many Catholics in the place. Mm -hmm. at that time. But we had Catholics, we had Muslims, very friendly people, mm -hmm. um, other Christians, Orthodox, some with no religion at all. But they were all one mix in the first years that I were, was there. Mm -hmm. And finally I qualified myself and was teaching at a slightly higher level. Mm -hmm. <coughs> And later on, that was the first impression. I didn't feel strange. Mm -hmm. No. Uh, but, I, you know, I've heard that it's a bit of a gift of the people native to this area of the world. Yeah. That we don't feel strange. It's the others that might feel, yeah. have to feel strange, <laughs> no matter where we are. So straight into, so straight into teaching, where was, it you, where was it you actually taught? Was it at the, the university? Uh, the university... Well, we started this university right? okay, yeah, yeah. against a lot of struggle. I'm uh -huh. the two sisters who started it. I I, they did a lot of things eventually that I would not agree with, but by God, they had courage. Mm -hmm. I mean, they faced the emperor of Ethiopia because Eritrea was part of Ethiopia. Yep. And they did a wonderful thing. Everything just to build, physically build the university. And... That was under attack too, because the Masons didn't want it. Mm -hmm. They tried to sabotage the building. And so we were teaching. The level I was teaching was the level below the level I was at myself. Okay. Now I had a better education because I'd been here. Yeah. Right. I had equivalent tires eventually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, then... Uh, going on, yeah, I had to study and teach at the same time, some, and that's why it took a bit longer. Yeah. You know? um, and I think that uh, it was well received. Excellent. So, um, in Eritrea, the Kamoni sisters obviously had a, an, an impact in education. Did they impact in, in other environments, in other ways? Yes. Um, teach a hospital. Right, okay. We had the hospital. We came into Eritrea from Sudan. Mm -hmm. uh, we crossed over the border because we're Sudan and Eritrea, very close. Uh, invited by a Komboni father. He wasn't, I, I, I don't think he was officially attached to uh, Kombonis, mm -hmm. the order, the congregation, but he always went. And he had worked with our founder. Mm -hmm. Then, 1914, 
uh, well, I think before that, uh, he came across as a chaplain, an army chaplain for the Italians. And in, I invited our sisters to come across because we need you. In 1914, I think we went there, yes. Um, and settled there. We did, but nursing was the first thing. Right, okay. Uh, and a hospital. And our sisters worked in even the government hospitals after that. Mm -hmm. The Italians had set them up, these hospitals. Then they passed over to the, the government, you know. Yeah. And then we were teaching in Masawa, not teaching, hospital work. And when I think of it now, when there was no electricity to run fans, it's extremely hot there, and it's humid. It's on the Red Sea. It's the port. You're always wet. Mm -hmm. The climate is really awful. And mm -hmm. those sisters stuck it out for years. Yeah. Other congregations were there. But in the month of May, they upped the tent and went back to Asmara because they couldn't stand the heat there. Not the Cambodians. Is that the, we stayed there. <laughs> toughed it out. We toughed it out. But they <coughs> would go up maybe for a couple of weeks for the retreat and a wee bit rest and then back down again. Mm -hmm. And I said, hats off to you women, you know. Yeah. And they lived through that. There's no way I could have then complained about the sound of the, what's it called, the, the thing that they use for a, mach a machine <laughs> keeps the place cool. Oh, a fan or a. Uh, well, but you know, there's yeah. a thing that blows cold, it's terrible. Yeah. No. Um, I, I always slept there when I was there, I loved going there. Yeah. But they, I slept and I always dreamt of being under a lorry, which had left the, the engine running. And it was really the air conditioner. The air conditioner, yeah. So, so, I on my really they did well. So an impact on education, an impact on healthcare. What were some of the challenges that you had to work under, or some of the things that you had to deal with when you when you were were on mission in Eritrea? Well, first of all, the guerrilla warfare that was going on always, and the ups and downs of that, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, also, the fact that the University of Addis Ababa didn't want the University of Asmara. Okay. Because no. they were a crowd of rebels. You know. Right. <laughs> and then, let's face it, they were. Okay. Um, but they didn't want it. Mm -hmm. And we had to fight it to the point of that one man actually... He was one of the, what do we call it, managers of the building site. He actually ran away with the money for the pay for the men. Oh, jeez. And, oh, sisters are not going to pay. The, the men started putting acid stuff, I don't know what it was called, on the pillars that they had put in to try and ruin it. Underneath, it had been ruined. There was water under in the foundations, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. 
really they tried to sabotage the building itself, yeah. but also uh, academically because we were many of us were young sisters struggling, yeah. you know, to to teach at a level which was high. Well, of course, mm -hmm. it was quite high, and we were only just prepared. Sometimes not even prepared, let's yeah. face it, giving what we could. and didn't have the books and so on. And they would send up commissions up from Addis to examine us. Mm -hmm. And we went through these challenges. They put us through the, you know, what you used to call it, a third degree yeah. in questions. What are you doing? Why do you teach them this way? Why are you teaching? You haven't got the qualifications, stuff like that. And we had to face that. Then they insisted on having uh, syllabuses that had to be printed out and handed to everybody, you know. Ah, God. When I remember, three weeks, I remember we were up all night. We gave a, we shifted ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. working day and night to produce some stuff before they actually arrived. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. I remember Sister Pina sitting at the typing machine and she was typing the book and I said, put this on the syllabus on the books you need, you know? Yeah. Bibliography. And she's sitting there and the tears are rolling down. She's tired typing. God, I remember that, you know. Mm -hmm. But we went through it. Fair enough. We did it. So there was a lot of challenges. There was hostility to your efforts from the Ethiopian government and, and people at ground level as well. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. People. Yeah. yeah. There were a lot of hostility and a lot of hostility also. Uh, well, not hostility, but what's happening here, you know? Yeah. At congregation level. Because our, uni our congregation had not aspired to a university before. Mm -hmm. yeah. Although Cambodia had, but uh, you know, that kind of thing. No, no, these people need it. No? And finally, you know, the government overtook it. Yeah. And Domingo still, still Ethiopia. And, oh, by that time, we had spies in every class. I say spies, we had government agents in the class. Jeez. With a gun in their pocket, you're not supposed to know. And probably a couple of people from what we call the front, mm -hmm. the guerrillas, but they were working in the building too. No, I remember okay. just after liberation, well, nearly a year after, they were coming back because a lot of the guys had disappeared into the bush yeah. to fight for their country. Eventually they won. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're mixed up in it. And we were on their side. Mm -hmm. And uh, this fella came back. I remember his name, Hadis. Hadis came back and he'd been working in the office. And I remember on one occasion, 75, when the fighters came into Asmara and were shooting the place up and the other guys. And it had happened, I thought myself, we, on the Saturday morning, I cut short, we were in the building. The students had left that night and gone away home as quickly as possible. Some had actually stayed there, fearful of going into the street because of shooting. Okay. Uh, on Saturday morning, about 8.30, it started again to shoot here and there. Okay, and things got worse and worse because the soldiers had, had been shot at. 
Mm-hmm. I saw it happening from a window. Uh, these guys, soldiers, were going along the wall like this, and two of them fell. And they thought the snipers on our roof because we had a flat roof, mm-hmm. which hopefully wasn't true, but. They thought that, so they surrounded the building, and we were inside. You know, when you get mortars thrown in at you and stuff like that, it was kind of. You had mortars fired into the building where oh. you were. Oh yeah. Were you not terrified? Yeah. <coughs> yes, but it's funny how the moment happens. You know, we had workers in the building. Mm-hmm. No who'd be starting their job, you know, we were supposed to start the examination, the mid-term examinations, mm-hmm. or the term examination. In fact, I got a telephone call. The soldiers came in eventually, and we were told that they would find the bad guys, you know, mm-hmm. in the building, and when they found them, they would shoot us first. So that was a comfort. And uh, they heard... They shoot you, shoot yeah, you guys first? First. That's <coughs> told us. But they had us all, sisters and workers in the main foyer, we mm-hmm. used to call it of the US. Beautiful place. And the phone rang. And I, an idiot, picked the phone up. <laughs> Just shouldn't have done. So a gun leveled at me. A rifle. Mm-hmm. No? And I said, I picked it up. So, so undercover. Somebody phoned me and said, I'm phoning from one of the students. I'm phoning from the commercial bank. He says, um, where he work? He says, uh, will there be the examinations today? <laughs> and I can't remember saying this, but one of our sisters told me later that I said, the only examination that will be held at the University of Asmara today will be the examination of conscience. And I can't remember saying that. I told you she said I did say it. All right, so then put the phone down and then get down your hands and knees. So, I mean, we went mm-hmm. through these times. All right, yeah. why did I get into this mess? Couldn't cross your mind, but no problem. There was a Canadian priest there volunteering. He was a bit... And he had his... He had a brush with a white tea towel on it, you know, mm. to his flag. And I went downstairs one time because I had to go down to what we called the semi-underground passage that there was, you know, mm-hmm. classroom we had in it. And we're standing, and I, I went down to and I, oh, I don't like this. I don't want to die like a rat in a trap. So I ran upstairs again, tripped, fell, and my veil came and was lost. Where we wore veils at the time. My veil was lost. And I remember the priest saying to me, Sister, this is no time to lose your veil. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went off with his flag. <laughs> and they eventually came in. And they took this young fellow, Haddish, uh, and they were pulling about a lot. He was working in the office, mm-hmm. had been one of our students. And they said, he's a traitor, and they were punching and kicking him. When one of the, the colonel, I think he was, came from where he had been, round the building, and he said, what are you doing that? This young man, he has an ID card. Mm-hmm. Leave him. Yeah. Years later, when they did come, you know, the, fi- the fighters took over, 
and this fella had come back in again and talking to me. Uh, uh, I said, but, you know, they had you down for one of the fighters, mm -hmm. no, one of the gang there. Uh, uh, I said, <laughs> was it right? He said, yeah. It was. It was, all right. Jeez. He was undercover. Kept you his know, cards and we had them all over, you know. Yeah. And then you had but in a way, you know, you took all that kind of thing as natural because and you'd rather the shooting than an earthquake, I'm telling you that. Right. We have earth tremors there. Mm -hmm. And I've never felt so Desperately afraid in my life. Yeah. I, I didn't speak. I couldn't speak. And it didn't happen. Nothing fell down, mm -hmm. you know. But, the, I mean, for a building to tremble like that yeah. for 10 seconds or something. What? Jeez. But, you know, but only once, twice I felt it. It's not always a part of the world you'd associate with. Oh, yes, it's well. on the line. Oh, is it? It's is on it? the Rift Valley. Oh, line. that's mad. Lack of geography and knowledge there. <laughs> <laughs> as, as sister. But if you like, it was the way exciting. <laughs> it was different, you know, you had to face silly challenges like that. Yeah. We were never really in any real danger, you know. And you spoke you spoke earlier on about the ratio of men to women in the uh -huh. educational system. Was getting like girls into education uh, a challenge? Yes, at the beginning there were very few when mm -hmm. I was young um, doing that. But you see, we had girls' schools and we had an Italian school run by the Italian government, mm -hmm. which is still there, by the way. Mm -hmm. My head's the wrong shape. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we had these girls, so they were being educated up mm -hmm. and wanted to go on to study, no? Yeah. So a lot of them. So you just played your part in, you know, getting girls in education. Getting that, the and girls in as well. And, really in and encouraging them because they wouldn't speak to you. When you asked a question in class, mm -hmm. no, they would go. Very quiet and shy. Yeah. Take your hand away from your mouth, woman, <laughs> you know. You, you obviously touched on, you know, um, some memories and, and things there, yeah. but is there a, do you have any kind of particular standout memories or stories from your time in, in Eritrea? Anything that sticks out for you? Yes, the time I met my guardian angel. Okay, tell us about uh, that. I'm really sure it was my guardian angel. Mm -hmm. uh, she's going to batter me now because she doesn't like me keeping on repeating this one, but I was, by this time, I was working out in the desert. Mm -hmm. Uh, good, the furthest out mission, uh, in the sense there was no other congregation, there were no other priests or churches around at all for at least 70 kilometres. No, 100, sorry. Mm -hmm. nothing. Well, nothing there was nothing. Because uh, during the 30 years of war, we had been forbidden to go to that area. Okay. Area. So we had started going there. And I was, I was a driver. So I left the, our house early in the morning. Got down, no road, but never mind. You enjoy that too. Okay. And got down to the river, which was usually dry. 
and it did had what they called an iron bridge, an, an Irish bridge. Do you know what an Irish bridge is? No. It goes under the water. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> uh, and it does go under the water. It's a, it's a road solid which is built from side to side. Mm -hmm. you know, usually it's dry, but when the rains come and are lashing down, yeah. it's covered over. Yeah. You know? Quite deep, so watch it. But it, if you know it's there and there's a bit of water, you take that way across because you know you're not going to find a boulder in the way mm -hmm. or, or something else. Yeah. So I got down to the river and it was full, absolutely mm -hmm. coming down. There was a lorry at the other side on its side. Mm -hmm. And something else, I can't remember exactly what it was, but something else had been in trouble. Um, and I thought, I was alone. I said, I'm not crossing there. Oh no, I'm too scared, I'm not going. Mm -hmm. I'll sit and wait till it goes down, but that could be hours and hours. Yeah. <coughs> Even days. And so I'm sitting there, window open, because it's very hot. And a fighter, now, this was in the time of um, Eritrea. We had one. Eritrea was independent. Okay. But there were still these guys, some of them, in the hinterlands where we lived. And he was dressed as a, as one of the um, fighters. He was yeah, We had very short trousers, uh, rather tangled hair, beard usually, mm -hmm. spats kind of on, sandals. Congo, um, came up and he spoke to me in broken Italian. He said, tu non baura. don't be afraid, do this. Close the window, turned it, and he told me what to do, put it into first, second gear, then slowly, 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 go across, go across, slowly, slowly, don't look at the water, look at the other side, slowly, slowly, those ones are stupid, they looked at the water. And then slowly, slowly, no problem, do that. So I said, we have a problem. I am afraid. And he opened the door, and I should have been afraid of that, but he opened the door, he pushed me to the other side of the car and got into the driving seat, closed the door, and repeating each instruction, no, mm -hmm. closed, put the window swipers on, put her in, uh, put her in first gear, I think it was first or second, and he said, then slowly, slowly and he did it. Mm -hmm. And he drove me across that river, and I feel the river, the water, you know, kind of pushing you, mm -hmm. you know. Slowly, slowly. Made, got to the other side, made absolutely sure that <coughs> all four wheels were out of the water, mm -hmm. right? Then got out the car, closed the door, said, See, that's the way you do it all the time. Non baura, don't be afraid to see. <laughs> and of course, I said, Oh, thank you very much. So I turned around to get some money to give him. Mm -hmm. He wasn't there. So I looked, he wasn't there. He was going back the river. He could have. They walked these things, no problem. Yeah. Looked on it. He wasn't anywhere to be seen. Jeez. And you'd got across the river? And I got across the river, safe and safe. And dry. 
and I know it was him because, I, I, but you see, here's where Irish or Celtic heritage comes in. We know the angels can change their form. Mm -hmm. uh, they can transform as they please, not to do a certain protection. St. John Bosco is a case in point, no? Yeah. He had that big duck that arrived every now and then. Grigio, I think they called him in the <laughs> well, Yeah, they, that that's a stands out in my head. And other things that stand out, a lot of so many things, you know. Yeah. But just what's beautiful about it is to feel part of a community yeah. of which you are very different. Yeah. Being white, Christian, woman, mm -hmm. <laughs> in a Muslim society. We're all Muslims out there. 99.9%. Mm -hmm. .9 we had about 40 Christians, including the babies. Uh, we were there, but we weren't there to serve that community. We did also. Mm -hmm. But that's not why we were out there. It was to have contact with the local people. Yeah. Well, Tigray, I learned a bit of their language. Mm -hmm. you know, and they became um, possessive, by the way. Yeah. <coughs> I remember one time we was in the marketplace down there. And these two fellas came and they were, they were soldiers, but they weren't dressed as soldiers. There's something about you tell. Uh, Eritreans... So they had come up to me and they spoke to me in Tigrinya, which is, I know the bad words in Tigrinya, but I don't really know <laughs> the language because I had to teach them English. Yeah. Right. So um, <laughs> they came up to me, said something in Tigrinya, and the man on the stall, who was a Tigre yeah. and a Muslim, said, <laughs> he said to them, oh no, she doesn't know any Tigrinya. No, no, no. She has perfect Tigre because that, was a bit of a, a, a aggravation there, no? Mm -hmm. She knows perfect Tigray, which was his language, no? But she doesn't know anything. And I'm saying, oh my God, I hope they don't know Tigray. Because I did know Tigray, but mm. not enough to have a conversation, you yeah, know? Yeah. I knew how to get round daily, yeah. you know? And this man was kind of saying, she belongs to us. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Mm. She clearly. knows only Tigray, she doesn't know Tigrinya. A <laughs> uh, Tigrini is, I mean, the it's a big mistake. But they said the first official language of the country is Tigrini, and that's the language of the Highland people. Okay. And they're a bossy lot. <laughs> and the others resent it a wee bit. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> there, you, there you go. Um, so you've had. Nearly six decades of experience of being a missionary, you probably have an idea of what are the most important qualities of characteristics that a, a missionary must possess. What do you think they are? Oh, I think they're so diverse. And we say nowadays, like all religious congregations, open up. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of the world as you find it which we are, of course, be among the people. And I think especially for missionaries, that is important. 
me among the people, not above them, teaching. You see, for years, we were the ones, we were the educated ones. We were the nurses and the sisters in school and so on. And we were cut above the others. No. Mm -hmm. We have to be no. the leaven <coughs> in the bread, not the bread. Wonderful. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's something we have to try to learn because there's been this kind of, not division, but this kind of, oh, sister. You know. mm -hmm. And that was okay. That was, in fact, that was the way it was done. And thank, you, thank God it was done. Thank goodness we had missionaries in Nigeria because mm -hmm. that was my Nigerian priests. Most of them are good priests, yeah. you know. Mm. So we have to be open to that. Now it's their turn to come and help us. Yes. And then we'll go back and help. That's no problem. Mm -hmm. We'll all be mixed, and we're mixed here anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the missionary has to have that feeling of the community. See, <coughs> the Pope, Francis, is leading us, for me, very well in this direction. And that's why he's got so much opposition. <laughs> Sister, what, what would you say, you know, again, drawing on your experience, what, what are the positives and negatives about being a missionary? Well, for me, being a missionary, a religious missionary, has helped me mm -hmm. in a personal way to develop, to grow in spirituality, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Not in religion, but in spirituality. Mm. Not despising religion, on the contrary. But what are we about? And this is not just being religious, being a Christian, being a person, being a human being. What are we all about? What is this business of religion? Of faith. relationship with this God who leads us on. And he's not a big fella in the sky with white beard. No. And when I, I've discovered things that 20 years ago I didn't know. Or I knew, I knew somewhere, but not with this thing, <laughs> or with my heart. For example, when you, I like dogs, I like animals. But it's the same with the flowers or anything. You just look at it and you say, what is it? When a dog looks at you, it's a But why do I feel that? Oh, mm -hmm. what is cute? It's the presence of God. It's the spirit of God who has created that thing. And says, isn't it marvellous just how you feel? Yeah. Being human and attacked. This is a gift of God. He is revealing himself to us all the time. And you feel like um, being a missionary has opened that up even the, more? Yes. Yeah. And being a missionary, therefore, is the privilege of being able to say that to other people. Yeah. Open your eyes. Look around you. Mm -hmm. Enjoy yourself. I remember a student 
but maybe two years ago, I met him again at the British, at the British Embassy, mm. met him again, uh, and he said he had been my student at the university, and the lesson was at six o'clock in the evening, and he told me, he said, you know, I can remember very clearly, you were teaching us, but then you said, stop, look out of the window at the sun, the sun was setting and it's beautiful colours, fantastic, just look out of that window and enjoy that for a few minutes. He said, you did that, and then you started the lesson again, we went on. Mm -hmm. And he said, I, but he remembered that. Yeah. Now, this is the thing, to be able to help people to get in touch with something so wonderful. There's no way we can really understand it, but we can enjoy it. I think. So, yeah. And the term mission itself, what does it mean to you? The term mission, mission. Yeah. go, go, go out. Go Simple out. as that. That's go. It. Mm. Mm. And and so, is that what you would say to to lay people as well, like in terms of how they could live out their mission? Is it just that that case of you know go, go. out? Yeah. yeah. Well, you're doing mission appeals. I'm sorry, but it comes out of me. You say you say to people. Go out. It's you that's the missionary. Mm -hmm. You've got to be. That's what our Lord said. Mm -hmm. And he didn't say it to a bunch of people that was, were dressed up in a funny way. He said it to every person who accepted him in their lives. Mm -hmm. Go. Go out and tell the others. Mm -hmm. And last week I said, to go out and smile at someone. Even if he's wearing a red, white, and blue scarf, <laughs> smile at him. <laughs> it's, but it's true, you yeah. know. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, <clears throat> in terms of ourselves, like Miss You Scotland, you know, um, Miss You Scotland, you, you know, you, you've you've got very, very good knowledge of of Miss You Scotland and the Pontifical Mission Societies, probably in terms of the work that we do here and the work that gets done um, overseas and things like that. Why do you think, uh, as an organisation, it's important that people support Missio Scotland? What makes us special? I didn't get the last bit. People's report? No, why, why, do you think, why do you think it's important that people support Missio Scotland? Very important because the majority of people don't go out. If they do, they go out to see, mm -hmm. to have an idea of the experience of the mission. Mm -hmm. No. Or, or they go out and even their missionaries themselves here, they help with the wayside, they help in other initiatives like that, food programs, they're always in for it. No. Mm -hmm. They're being missionaries. But Missio has to solidify that. In fact, the I, I got a no from a, one of the priests, not in this diocese over there, for the Bishop of Peel. He said, no, because I don't want to ask people for more money, because it's always, 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 I will send a donation. And my reply was, yes, but there are two aims for mission. 
as I see it, Mr. Scottle, to keep in mind to people the mission that we're all on and money. And now I'm saying to people, I don't really mind, care about the money part. If you've got something, fine. But it's not the most important. The most important part is that you have to consider yourselves missionaries because you are. Mm -hmm. And I'm simply telling you about the work you help to do further on. Yeah. And that's important. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. It's important. Why? Well, look at the mess in the world today. And look at our situation here. We've got mission poured into us by we've got immigrant peoples. How do we treat them? How do we, as Christians, accept other people? We are all immigrants, if you look at it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I remember my uncle, who was loving his history, one time saying, you know, uh, what are you? Are you British? Are you really British? Said, of course, I'm British. I'm British. He says, the English are not British. They're incomers. <laughs> he was 90, they're incomers. But yes, if you look at it, they are. But so the Scots, Darwin, in, in, in it, we came from Ireland originally, right? Yeah. Uh, and before us, there were the Picts. God knows who they kicked to. We're all, we're all immigrants, if you like. Mm. What makes it difficult is when the immigrant wants you to follow their ways and give up your own, then they become invaders. Mm -hmm. right, and we're against that. But there are so many. I I was sitting in Buchanan Street bus station waiting for a sister one day. And those two young fellas, a bit as tall as you, strangely enough, both Chinese. And they were talking to one another in broad Glasgow. <laughs> and I was I mean, they were so obviously Asian. Mm -hmm. They were together. They were having a conversation. Yeah. Good, that's fine. That's the spirit, I think, we should welcome in people. We're mm -hmm. all Joe Thompson's birds. Mm -hmm. And whether I call you black or white, or I love Billy Corley when he says, I am a Scottish person. Powder blue. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's got a point. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the 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 Cambodian missionaries themselves worldwide, what's the situation for the the congregation? Oh, in crisis, but mm. I think we all are uh, in crisis. In the sense that we have taken the bull by the horns. We are more than a thousand yet, mm -hmm. but there you see we have so many African and some Asian people working with us, mm -hmm. uh, and African sisters who are part, they are Combonis. Mm -hmm. We also have started African congregations, but they're in loco, they're their own congregations yep. now. Yep. They were um, trained, whatever you want to call it, you know, until a certain point, then training their trainers you know, to be, but Africans. But we do have a lot of African sisters. But I must tell you, I got a shock that just last night we're talking about things of our own congregation, and it seems that some of the African sisters want to work 
in their own countries. Okay. No, Cambodia for me shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Can work in our own countries. We have to be open to working with others sure. because otherwise you become a local thing. Yeah. I think the Cambodia, and we're trying to reorganize uh, the congregation, uh, we call it redesign it, you know, so that we have less provinces mm -hmm. and cut down on administration of the congregation as far as we can. And we've got a good chance to do it. Because in my congregation, there are two Scots. One of them sitting in front of you. <laughs> and the other one is Sister Anne-Marie Quigg from Ardrossan. And she is the mother general of our congregation. Yeah. And huh? Yeah. She does a good job, she will. Probably. She's organized. <laughs> but this is what we want to do. Organize in order to not take so much organization so much uh, administrative uh, jobs to do and have more people on the mission. And our focus now, we're not quite sure how it should go because we too got bogged down, I think, with schools, hospitals, building of schools and hospitals, even for, not for ourselves but for others yeah. and other infrastructures like that. Uh, no, we've got to go out. Yeah. So we're trying to do that. Sister, we're just, getting, just about to come to the end of the wee interview here, but what I usually do is I, I usually end on a, a light-hearted note and I ask the interviewee if they could tell us something about themselves that maybe other people don't know, and that can be anything. Is there anything about you that we don't know? Or are you an open book? I don't know. What am I? That they don't know. Well, maybe a lot of folk maybe didn't know that you were a talented musician. Who knows? No, probably not. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that. Um, the talent is, is still there because you don't unlearn music. Mm -hmm. And the love for it, don't unlearn it. Uh, yes, that's one thing that people don't know about me in general. No? Yeah. And maybe, I don't know. We had, in the past, we've had yeah. Sister Placida, who told us that she liked to do Doris Day impersonations. <laughs> For example, <laughs> that was one of them. Brilliant. That, that, that was probably one of the more <laughs> colourful uh, admissions. But, um, oh, I don't know. My signature tune used to be, 40 years ago, used to be the Jilly Peace song. Oh, wow. Which, yeah, I, which I didn't know, but it was a, a Severian father uh -huh. Italian Severian father who actually said, Why don't you sing the Jilly Pisha of your Scots in the caring church which we used to have? Mm -hmm. no? And uh, I had learned this <laughs> song and, uh, and sing it. So I'd, that was my signature tune. Oh, there you <laughs> like, go. There's not many people. And I like singing a song or two. Yeah, yeah, there's not many people that tinkle in the ivories and sing the Jilly Peace song. So <laughs> there you go. Sister Mary Thomas, thank you very much for your thank you time for it easy. Um, today. And I wish you all the best and God bless. God bless. And God bless you for the mission work, which is absolutely important. I'm not joking. Thank you, we Sister. Need it. But people 
I think you should go more more forcefully tell people in the parishes what Misha is. Mm-hmm. They're not aware of it that Misha comes from the top. Yeah. Misha Scotland is important because it's our mission, yeah. our contribution to the big family. Absolutely. We have to get this into our minds. And we'll we'll do our best to do that. Thanks again, sister. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Missio Scotland is a Scottish branch of the Pontifical Mission Societies, the Pope's official charity for overseas mission. To learn more about the work of Missio Scotland, you can visit our website www.missioscotland.com You can like us on Facebook www.facebook.com slash missioscotland You can also follow us on Twitter missio underscore scotland and on Instagram missioscotland If you would like to donate to Missio Scotland visit www.missioscotland.com slash donate You can also call us on 01236 449 774 or send donations to Missio Scotland, 4 Laird Street, Coatbridge, ML5 3LJ. Please keep us in your prayers. Thank you and God bless.